diet I hate to think about. I'm overweight and I can't get thin. But I'm awfully well for the shape I'm in. And arch supports I need for my feet or I wouldn't be able to go out in the street. Sleep is denied me night after night, but every morning I find I'm all right. My memory's failing, my head is spinning, but I'm awfully well for the shape I'm in. Old age is golden, I've heard it said. (laughs) But sometimes I wonder as I go to bed with my ears in a drawer, my teeth in a cup, my glasses on a shelf until I get up. And when sleep dims my eyes, I say to myself, is there anything else I should lay on the shelf? (laughs) The reason I know my youth has been spent is because my get up and gone has got up and went. But really, I don't mind when I think with a grin of all the places my get up has been. I get up each morning and dust off my wits, pick up the paper and read the old bits. If my name is missing, I'm therefore not dead. So I eat a good breakfast and just jump back into bed. The moral of this as the tale unfolds is that you and me who are growing old, it's better to say, I'm fine with a grin than to let people know the shape we're really in. Now that's the kind of tempo we like to set when we're going to receive an offering. (laughs) No, I find that you give better when you're smiling than you do when you're frowning. And uh, I like that. I, I don't know who wrote it, but I believe he's been there. I believe he's been there. Let me also mention to you that we put all the pastor's top shelf books, the books that were located on the top shelf of his library out here in the auditorium and we're giving them away free. Um, These are small, most of them are paperbacks, but they're good books and we want you to select as many as you wish. They're free. Do not bring them back. The books are free of charge. I do not necessarily agree with the authors. That's all right. We learn sometimes from people with whom we disagree. You may or may not agree with the authors. All of these books are out of the pastor's library. We have them on this table down here by the flag and also at the back of the auditorium before you leave to go home. Take a moment after the service this morning, if you would, please. And you feel free to take as many books as you would like and can use. And when you get through with them, you get, if they're pretty tough books, you know, get them to your neighbor. Wake him up, all right? Uh, share the books with other people. We'd appreciate that so very, very much. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. And you know what? We need to thank God for his blessings on us in this church. Every day I see people and I say, oh, but by the grace of God, 
there go I. Sometimes it'll be a person who's blind. Some person will be led about with a seeing eye dog. And I say, if it weren't for the grace of God, there go I. God has been so good to give you grace to be here today. And we're so glad to have you in this service. Let's thank him before receiving the offering. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you today for the Lord Jesus Christ, your blessed son, whom you gave so freely to come into this world of sin and, and debauchery and willingly lay down his life as an atonement for our sins. And Father, we pray for those today who do not know Christ as Savior. May this be the day the Holy Spirit will have right away in that heart and in that life. And that some will say yes to Christ and mean it with all of their heart to follow him and to trust him for salvation. Bless this offering. We thank thee for it and for the visitors you've sent our way. For Christ's sake, we make our prayer. Amen. Would you be seated, please? Brother Jay Ford is a member of First Baptist Church here in Tyler, and we've asked Brother Jay to come this morning and bring us, Brother, bring us the message in unity. We're glad to have you. Like the woman at the well I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. Then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul, bread of heaven, feed me. I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. There are millions in this world who are craving the pleasure earthly things afford. But none can match the wondrous treasure 
that I find in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me This world gave you leave hungers that won't pass away. My blessed Lord will come and save you if you kneel to Him and humbly pray. Fill my cup, Lord. It up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me. Thank you, Brother Ford, for that message in song. And I do love songs, the right kind of songs this brother sung about today, about who the Lord is and what he came to do. Now, I hope you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter number 5. We are in a study in a series of sermons on the subject, the sovereignty of God the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> On one occasion, as our Lord was speaking about the bread of life, when he finished that message, some of his disciples made this statement. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And not only did they voice their opposition against what our Lord was speaking about, but they left him and they walked off. And Christ said to his other disciples, will you also go away? When you are content with coming to church and hearing the word of God preached, there are going to be some things from time to time that cause you to rejoice. And even if you are not a shouting Baptist, you might just occasionally say, Amen, Amen. Because it was something you wanted to hear. But there are other times when it isn't quite so enjoyable. And it causes us to think about what has been said and if this is truth or not. 
And instead of saying amen, we have a tendency to say, oh, me. Now, the Bible is the word of God. It's God's word. And every preacher who stands today in the sacred pulpit is responsible to God Almighty for preaching his word. Not parts of it, but all of it. Because all of it is the word of God. I hope you will understand that and I hope you will pray for me as I continue to deal with this subject on the sovereignty of God. In chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark, after this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda having five porches. In these, that is in these five porches lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind people, halt, withered and waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole by whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He said unto him, Will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, Take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole the same said unto me, Take up your bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed, please underscore this, wist, that's an old English word, but it means to know a certain thing. This man did not know who it was. He didn't know Jesus Christ. For Jesus had not conveyed, that's another word we use sometimes out of context, that he had conveyed himself away, it means to slip away. That all of a sudden Christ was lost in the crowds of the people and the man could not locate him or talk with him any longer. But afterward in verse 14, Jesus findeth him in the temple. And said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. 
the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Now, we want to deal this morning, as God permits and enables, on the subject of sovereignty and salvation. Sovereignty of salvation. And I am using the term salvation not in regards to a profession of faith. Anybody, under most any circumstances, can make a profession of faith. It may be real and it may not be worth 10 cents. But I'm speaking of salvation is what happens when a man's life is changed by the Holy Spirit of God in regeneration and he becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. You say, well, Brother Cozart, I don't find that drastic change in my life. Well, most likely you've never been saved by the grace of God. I'm telling you that when the Lord Jesus saves us and the Holy Spirit seals that salvation, you're going to be one of the first people to know about it. And all the crowds of people that have been leading you down the wrong way, you don't have to quit them. They'll quit you when the Lord comes into your heart and when he comes into your life, sovereignty and salvation. If God is sovereign in creation, and we've covered this already, and he most certainly is sovereign in creation, in that, my dear friends, there was nobody there but God. He by himself said, let there be light, and there was light. He created everything that was made. He made it. God made it, and he made it the way he wanted it to be. If God is sovereign in creation, if God is sovereign in nature, the sun even went out when he was hanging on the cross. And the sun would never refuse to shine unless the commander in general said, stop shining. And a terrible eclipse took place as Christ died. He is sovereign over the elements, fire and water, he is sovereign over animal life. These angry, hungry lions would have eaten most anything except they wouldn't eat Daniel when Darius had him thrown into the den of lions because God was sovereignly protecting his servant from that by shutting the mouth of the lions. He is sovereign over angelic life. There was at least one-third of the angelic population that left heaven when God expelled them because they wanted to follow Lucifer as their angel and not follow God's plan for their life. If he is sovereign over human life, and you know what? He is sovereign over human life. I have not been preaching too long, just 70 years, but I tell you what, in 70 years I've learned even unsaved men know how to pray Calvinistic prayers. Do you know what a Calvinistic prayer is? It's God have mercy. Now you won't see it most every day at their job, 
or on their vacation, but you let them get in a hospital bed and the doctor shakes his head and says, I can't do anything for you, dying man. You'll hear a mouth sometimes, God help mercy. That's a Calvinistic prayer. God, I want you to have mercy because he is a sovereign God. Most Baptists sing of God's sovereignty every Sunday, whether they are aware of it or not. We talk about the sovereignty of God at the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And prior to that, he talks about the sovereign, my sovereign Savior. Who, he wrote that song. Now listen to some staggering statements. Not because I make them, but because they're truth. And in a generation today when there's so little truth being preached or taught, and we're filled with lies on every hand, it's good to hear a little truth once in a while. It is God who decrees whether or not we shall be born. You were born because God willed for you to be born. And every human on the face of the earth is a product of the sovereign will and pleasure of God. Do you remember in the book of Job, when Job was praying even for his children, they were celebrating birthdays, and one, one of Job's servants came to him and said there have been some bad things to happen, and he talked about the possessions of Job had been taken and stolen by the enemy, but then he got down to the crux of the matter. He got Job's attention. It says in verse 18, chapter 1 of Job, while he was yet speaking, that is the servant bearing the bad news, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Job and Mrs. Job had been blessed with ten children. Seven of them were boys and three of them were girls. And they were all killed at the same time by a tornado. And Job's response was, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. Every one of those children that Job and Ms. Job had came from the Lord. Every person that is born into this world is an act of sovereignty of God Almighty. Not all are born alive. Some are born dead. But there are multitudes who do live and survive being born. That's the will of God. That's the work of God. He is sovereign. It is God who decrees whether or not we shall be born. It is God who decrees whether or not we shall die. You see, not everybody is going to die. 
If your eschatology teaches there's going to be a rapture, and mine does, I believe it's going to happen, there are going to be some people living on this earth who have not tasted of death and will never taste of death because it will be interrupted by the sovereign act of God Almighty. Enoch did not die. The Bible said he walked with God. All of a sudden, he was not. For God took him. And yet, hundreds of years later, one of the closest friends that the Lord Jesus ever had was Lazarus. Lazarus not only died one time, but Lazarus died two times. Now, don't you think that's kind of strange? That he wouldn't let Enoch die, but he let Lazarus die twice. Why'd he do that? Because he wanted to. He is a sovereign God. And we're not to find fault, ever find fault with that sovereign God. It is God who decrees whether or not we shall be saved. In the truest sense of that word, in the biblical sense and understanding of that word. In the book of Romans chapter number 9. The book of Romans chapter number 9 verses 13 and following. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Just because God doesn't love everybody doesn't mean that God ought to be neglected and criticized for his actions. If what God does does not meet with our standard, should never become a reason why we would criticize God for anything that he does. But go on. For the children being not yet born, neither doing good or evil, then he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, let me just stop my jabbering and you listen to the clear word of God. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, it is not of him that runneth, but it is of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee? God did not bring Pharaoh into this world that he might demonstrate what a great ruler he was and a great leader that he was. He brought him into this world to do his best to annihilate the children of God. And he put his hand to that plow and plowed it for the next 200 years. But God turned his chariot over and drowned him and all of his soldiers in the Red Sea. And all of a sudden Moses became one of the first choir leaders in scripture. He led the children of Israel, there were two million of them, in singing praises to a sovereign God that had disposed of the enemy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name 
might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. You say, well, doesn't the Bible say that Pharaoh hardened his heart? Sure does, and he sure did. But the same Bible says God hardened his heart. Selah, that's a good word. Think of that. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find God's going around hardening hearts? They cannot be saved. Because who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou? And who do you think you are? Are you replying against God? Shall the thing formed to him that formed it? Why hast thou made him thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? Yes, ma'am. Over the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much long suffering the vessels of wrath and a strong Greek word here, church, fitted, fitted to destruction? Some people are fitted to destruction. Some will be saved. If they're ever saved, God's going to have to do it. A sovereign God. If the heart of the king is in the Lord's hand, and he turneth it whithersoever he will, then the heart of the sinner is in the Lord's hand, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. By the way, that's Proverbs 21, verse 1. Let's look carefully at this. I would like to give you quickly, quickly, an outline. You can teach this in your Sunday school class to your young people or to the juniors or to the older people. Number one, this whole incident that takes place in John chapter 5, number one, it was attended by an undefeated physician. That's in verse number one. Guess who's going to be there? The Lord Jesus is going to be there. And he's an undefeated physician. Every physician in Tyler, Texas, who's been practicing for five minutes will tell you there sometimes we lose a case. Sometimes we have to shake our head and we've done everything we know to do. Our Lord Jesus has never, never, never lost a case. Everything he ever intended to do, he did precisely that. And dear friend, if you do not believe he has that power, you have a weak Christ. He's sovereign. Well, you have an undefeated physician in verse number one. You have an incurable patient in verse number 5. He met a certain man. That man was there. He had an infirmity 38 years. It wasn't he just had an occasional headache once in a while. This man was dying for 38 straight years. But there was no difficulty for our Lord. Why, he raised Lazarus from the dead. 
sovereignty. And then you find in verse number 8, an impossible prescription. Jesus said to this man, take up your bed and walk. I imagine he laughed a little bit. Do what? I have not walked in 38 years. And the Lord said, I'm not joking. Take up your bed and walk. We're getting ready to see some action here. It's called sovereign action. And then in verse number 14, afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple. I like this one. Notice the, 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 this invalid man who needed to be healed uh, was staying as close as he could to the pool. He wasn't with the Lord five minutes till he left the pool and went to the temple. Isn't it amazing the different places that people go to get spiritual deliverance? Now, this is where we cross hairs. And the times I've said, well, you need a new pastor, or if I've ever said that before, uh, you're saying, you know what, Brother Dan's absolutely right. How many people go to the golf course? How many people go to the deer lease? This man went to the pool. He was in the wrong place. There's nothing in that pool that can take care of your spiritual life. Nothing. And as soon as he realized that, he got away from the pool and went running to the temple. That's where the Lord was. That's sovereignty. All right, let's look at it closely. God selectively dispenses his mercy and his grace. To best understand this, Several erroneous teachings must be avoided. It would be good for us to teach this on just a local layman's basis. I mean, by having a place where you could ask questions. I understand that. But you listen to your pastor here. God selectively dispenses his mercy and his grace. God does this. To best understand it, several erroneous teachings must be avoided. Number one, God wants to save everybody, but cannot unless man's will permits him to. Man's will becomes sovereign over God in that situation. For a man to say that there's some things God just can't do if I don't let him, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. I mean, where in the world were you when God said, let there be light? And you said, well, I don't want a whole lot of light because if I get a whole lot of light, I'm going to have skin cancers and i got to go to the doctor. We weren't around. God does what he wants. To. It'll be a great day in your life, brother, sister, when you realize God does everything he wants to do. And if he doesn't do it, he didn't want to do it to start off with. If that be not so, we have a problem with transferal of sovereignty from God to me. I let God do this and I let God do that. When the Bible is clear, Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. I looked it up in the Hebrew because I wanted to be accurate this morning. 
And you know what that verse says? It says, he hath done everything he pleased to do. That's what it says. And if it were over in the New Testament, you'd read it in Greek, it'd say the same thing. God is pleased to do everything he does. It pleases him. God owes everybody an opportunity to be saved. The creator becomes indebted to the creature. But you know, God does not owe us anything. God has been so good to us. My dear friend, on our worst day, the best thing for us to say is all hail the name of Jesus Christ. Praise his name and thank you, dear Lord, for his blessings and for his goodness. Jeremiah 18, 6, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If he can do it with Israel, he can do it with Gentiles also. <laughs> yes, he can. Another one of these erroneous things, God loves everybody and would never pass anyone by. Again, the creator is forced to love everybody, which he does not. Have to be careful in presenting the plan of salvation to a person that you believe isn't a Christian. Be sure you present it accurately. Don't start him off with God just loves everybody. He has a wonderful plan for your life and all you got to do is kind of drum up with him. You and Jesus can have a good thing going and before you know it, you're there. Write me, send me your telephone number, we'll call you and send you a Bible. There's something wrong with that. And that is God does not love everybody. You say, well, God so loved the world. You translate that word, Greek word translated world, it is translated in many different ways. You have to take it in its translation. He loved a world of sinners, Jews and Gentiles alike. This is what Nicodemus had a tough time listening to is when Christ talked about that. But nonetheless... The Bible says in Psalm 5, verse 5, The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest, that word H-A-T-E-S-T, hatest. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Did you know that the Lord said that? Have you ever wondered, my dear friends, how God missed a whole population of the world when he sent the flood, if he loved them all. Who was it that said that Noah put a bumper sticker on his ark that said, smile, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life? I don't think so. Do you? Do you think the people in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah we're just so thrilled at the goodness and grace of God in their life. No, God burned the whole bunch out. Did you know that? Oprah Winfrey said, if that's the kind of God there is, I don't want him. Honey, you don't have to worry. You never will have him. 
God will do exactly what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, before, because he is our sovereign God. That's comforting. And what is the spiritual condition of the world, by the way? Number one, this man was found to be impotent. He was found to be blind. He was found to be halt. He was found to be withered. He was found to be waiting. You find all those declared in verse number 5, I believe it is, verse number uh, 6. And Jesus saw him live and knew that he had been there. No, it isn't that verse. It must be the one before it. Halt, lame. Yes, verse 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity. Thirty and eight years, a long, long time. And all of these things were wrong. In verse number 3, impotent folk, blind people, halt people, withered people, and waiting people. They were impotent, had no strength. The Bible says in Romans 5, number 6, without strength, that's when Christ died for us. We were without strength. We could not save ourselves. Nothing we could do would change our destiny. And that's when Christ made salvation real to us. He saved us at our point of weakness, not our point of strength. Blind, cannot see, 2 Corinthians 4.4. Halt, that means every step that we take, there's an impairment in it. Our feet don't lead us to the always to the right places. They lead us to some bad places. They're depraved feet, according to Romans chapter 3. And waiting, this man was waiting for a handout from an angel. Now, I've been asked the question before, do you really believe that they believe that? Well, they must have because they showed up every time that angel was supposed to come down and stir the water. And once they saw the water bubbling a little bit or, or changing color just a little bit, the first one that jumped into the pool was made whole of any disease he might have. They packed that place out. Five porches were not enough to hold the congregations that came but this man couldn't be helped because by the time he got to the pool, somebody had already beat him there, and it was too late. And every time he went, he sat there waiting. Maybe today, maybe today, maybe today. <clears throat> That's the spiritual condition of the world. We're born dead in trespasses and in sins. Verses 5 through 6, please notice. The Lord passed by all the rest and centered his attention on one man. whole lot of folk there, but what was our Lord's response in verse 6? When Jesus saw him, he saw him, not them. He saw him. That's why he was there, for that one man. That's, this is why Christ came to Bethany. He did not come to pay condolences to Mary and Martha. He came to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he did it. And Jesus saw him. And not only that, but it said Jesus knew him. 
never had met him before, but he knew him. Why? Because Christ is God Almighty incarnate. You read about God creating in the book of Genesis. The Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. He's God robed in flesh. He knew this man, had known him for a long time before the foundations of the world. It's okay? You, with, you all right with that? And Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been there a long time in that case and said to him, will you be made whole? He saw him and he knew him. Notice he did not come to Christ. Christ came to him. The Lord Jesus always made it a practice of going after that which belonged to him. Always, always. He saw him in his helpless condition. He knew it would always be that way without divine intervention. He foresaw no ability in the man. He still selected him. Christ saw only this one man. Listen to me. Christ saw only this one man and he saw none of the rest. How many people he must have passed over to get to this one man who was waiting for the angel to stir the water. That's selectivity, dear friend. That's election. Whether you favor that term or not, that's election. This man was selected out of a whole congregation of people. And if the Lord spoke to these other people, it's not recorded. But he had something to say to this man, rise and take up your bed and walk. That's sovereignty. Sovereignty. Please notice the man did not ask for healing. It's not there. As a matter of fact, the only reason he said what he said was to give an excuse to why he was still 38 years invalid. This angel comes down, and by the time he stirs the water, I can't get there because too many other people are faster than I am. And excuse, excuse, excuse. The easiest thing in the world for an unsaved man to do is lie. Isn't it? All men are liars. I hope you're one of the all men. We like to give excuses. Well, I tell you, I would go to church, but too many hypocrites in the church. Always one little old dumb thing after another. It means nothing, and it'll mean less than that in the day of judgment when we stand before a sovereign God to give an account. Verse number 8, Christ sovereignly bestows mercy on him. I noticed this. There was no church service. Hello? Okay. There was no personal workers. Wait until the personal workers come to the front and they'll be able to guide you through this. We've got this thing covered. There was no invitation. 
the Lord looked at him straight in the face and said, Rise, you take up your bed and walk. That's the way our sovereign God operates, out of sovereignty. <clears throat> Let me very quickly mention two or three other things. God the Father is sovereign in salvation. The passage we read in Romans chapter 9, 14 through 16, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, on and on. The Father elected and chose those who would be saved according to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead before the foundation of the world, hath he chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God is absolutely as Father sovereign in salvation. In Acts chapter 13, 48, it said the believers there, they were or not ordained because they believed, but they believed because they were ordained. In other words, God does things and he doesn't have to do, but he doesn't because he wants to do it. Would you let me say this? Go ahead and say it anyway, Dan. He could have passed by every one of them and still been God Almighty because everything he is is absolute perfection. Every decision, and I use that word lightly, he doesn't make a decision. He already knows it all. But he's God. It's the reason Paul in Romans 3 said, Fear the Lord. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Not only depicts our wicked generation of unsaved people today, but sometimes it depicts our self-righteousness. God the Father is sovereign in salvation. God the Son is sovereign in salvation. In Matthew 1.21, when he came to naming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt call his name Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. Not he shall do his best to save them, he will save them. And he saves us from our sins. Hmm. And he's still in the soul-saving business today. Saving his people, his people, his people, always his people. He died only for the elect, called their called sheep in the New Testament. Even in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah chapter number 53, all we like sheep, not like a bunch of ragtail goats. We are were like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us sheep. The sheep were chosen by the Lord before the foundation of the world. Well, what about the goats? They go a different direction. We don't have the time to, to preach on that. But he's the Savior of the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's who Jesus Christ died for. Well, I didn't believe he died for everybody. He doesn't say that. What did he say? I laid down my life for the sheep. 
and not everybody's a sheep. And finally, God the Holy Spirit is sovereign in salvation. Our Lord was speaking to Nicodemus. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it goes, but so is everyone that's born of it or affected by it, that wind. And the wind does what it will do. I never will forget when Bill Clinton was president of the United States. <clears throat> Boy, we've had some Lulus, haven't we? In Dale City, Oklahoma, they had just had a tornado up there that ripped up Jake. I mean, just about tore that place and that state up. And the President of the United States comes along with his Air Force One plane and they landed and he goes to his platform and he stands and says, I've already delegated this damage to a committee of my choosing. And we're going to make sure that no more tornadoes hit this great state of Oklahoma. And you know the people say, hey man, isn't that good? Oh, we've got a good president. No, he lied like a dog. You don't control the wind. The Lord controls the wind. It comes out of his treasuries. Is what the scripture says. God the Spirit sovereign in salvation in the first chapter of John, verses 12 through 13. In John chapter 16, verses 8 through 9. He draws the sheep to the Savior. He draws the sheep to the Savior. No man can come to me. Now there's one in John 5, 40 that says, No man cometh to me. But this one says, no man can come to me unless the Father which hath sent me draw him. May I ask you a question, dear church? Why doesn't he draw everybody? I've had that question answered before. While he does draw everybody, but they just let God know they're not interested. Nobody was interested before the Lord started saving folk. Did you know that? Nobody was interested. If you have any interest in the Lord today, it's because he put that there. He's a sovereign God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, ye creatures here below. He is a sovereign God. One final thought, and it'll only take a minute. Jonah was swallowed by a fish. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I tell you, I've had some experiences. I've never been swallowed by a whale or by a big fish, but he was. And I believe he clawed. I believe he grabbed hold of any tonsil, anything that a fish has. I don't know if they have tonsils or not. But I tell you, when he was going down for the last time, you know what he said? Salvation is of the Lord. If I ever get out of this situation, only God can do it. And dear friend, if that is your plea today, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That if I ever get out of the condition I'm in today, God's going to have to do it. 
And Lord, I lay my life before you to take it and do anything that's necessary to bring me in conformity with your will. That's salvation. But God's responsible for it. And God does it because he's a great, wonderful God. And he never makes a mistake. And he's always right. And he does whatsoever he pleases. Let's stand, please, for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, how we thank you today for your sovereignty, for your majesty, for all of these great, wonderful attributes. The scripture speaks of you as being a God of truth, a, great, a God of justice, a God of, of grace, oh Lord, we thank you so much for loving us and showing us who you are. And we gladly bow the knee today and we gladly confess with the mouth that, oh my God, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to pay the sin penalty for your people and he did it. And Father, we're grateful to thee for it. We praise you for what you've done for us. Help us to live every day of our life that will be pleasing in thy sight and use us in your service. Thank you for this hour. And Father, one thing, we do pray for lost people. And if there are those here without Christ today, oh God, move upon their hearts and may they see the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and look to him for their salvation. For we make our prayer in Christ's name and for his sake we ask these things. Amen.